Hi, and welcome to Off Grid with me, Void. And me, Dave. It's the Not Really About Crosswords podcast. What does that mean? Well, we didn't know what we were going to be talking about today until we solved a crossword the other day. And we're going to let some of the words that were in the crossword dictate our subjects. We will be telling you three of our favourite clues and explaining how they work to you. But if you're not into crosswords, you can ignore that bit and just ignore the other fun stuff. No, don't ignore the other fun stuff. Pay attention to the other fun stuff. Did ignore I say ignore? Cross- you did, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> yeah, that'll teach me. Right, I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> yeah, why not? But if you are interested in the crossword side of it and want to know which one we did, this time it was another slice of chaos from The Guardian, number 28622 from Tuesday the 7th of December 2021. My God, the middle of winter already. And we will also have a short quiz inspired by a word or two that was in the puzzle. And you can't have a quiz without the ever-wonderful, the ever-present, the ever-excellent General Knowledge. How are you, General? Hello. Yeah, so thank you very much for this episode. I'm going to try out an accent that's a curious blend of Indian and American accents. But other than that, I'm very well. Thank you very much, generally speaking. Marvellous. Okay, great. Cool. Let's go straight on and have our favourite clues for you. General, which was your favourite? So my favourite clue was 15 across, uh, which goes like this. Old criminal carrying a burden. Four letters. And Dave? Uh, well, there were several clues with numbers in them that are quite mathsy, and I picked one of those, which reads, Unable to write 49 plus 51 three times a quarter? Question mark. And that's a ten-letter word. I think your choice went even further down that route, didn't it? Yeah, mine's got numbers in it as well, and I guess I should point out that the numbers are written as digits and not as words. And My clue is three down, one, plus 1,000, plus 1,000, plus, open brackets, seven minus five, close brackets. Roughly, that's huge. (laughs) Seven letters. We will explain how all of those work later on in the pod for you. But meanwhile, General, which word in the puzzle caught your eye? Yeah, so I tried to let my thoughts go on various tangents over uh, various words. But the tangent that drew the most on me was the one with 27 across, escape. So bear with me, my tangent about escape has an opening, a digression, and then a punchline. <laughs> Perfect. So one of the two definitions in the clue is key, referring, of course, to the escape character key at the top left of most computer keyboards. Mm-hmm. So the opening of my tangent is about the origins of the escape character. Okay. In the early days of computers, when computers needed to talk to uh, peripheral devices such as punch card machines or whatnot, they would use streams of data characters and the escape character was used to tell the peripheral device that, hey, what's coming next is a bunch of characters that normally signal some special controls to you. But in this escape mode, you just use them literally, okay? So... This sense of the escape character got slightly inverted a few years later when the escape character followed by the open square bracket was used to say, hey there, printer or terminal or whatever. Here is the start of a special sequence of control characters. Right. right. So then here's the digression, uh, jumping from the word printer there. So 
your podcast listeners are of course surely uh, very well aware that yours truly general knowledge has had a long and checkered career spanning many different professions so in fact i've had two stints working at two different printer companies uh, along my career at one of these i learned the remarkable fact that every high quality printer high end printer and copier that is manufactured every one of them does this curious thing which is it encodes its identity onto every piece of paper that it prints the way it does that is by depositing tiny yellow dots and you sort of uh, uh, embedding qr codes which uh, later you can use to figure out who which printer printed this stuff uh, so these patterns are not visible to the naked human eye but you can see them clearly in blue light using the magnifying Is this a sort of steganography almost? Yeah, absolutely. This is steganography. Uh, And uh, yeah, I think this has been used to catch people out in certain circumstances, hasn't it? Exactly. So it's it's it was mainly designed to thwart uh, currency counterfeiters, and you know, various governments were very concerned that printers keep getting higher, uh, keep improving in quality, and then they'll eventually just print currency, and no one will be able to tell. So the idea was that if someone does print currency, you should at least be able to track the criminal at the source. Isn't there supposed to be some kind of built-in software that recognizes when you are trying to print currency and refuses to do it? Or so there is that right? as well. So you, th- there are various techniques uh, that, that people use. And one of them is, of course, there'll be some special characteristics of the, of the thing getting printed that would sort of be catchable by the printer. But... You know, there are multiple measures. So one of them is this yellow dot thing. And when yeah. I used to work at this company, it was not general knowledge. Uh, but <laughs> I guess it, I think the electronic, uh, what's it called? EFF, the Electronics Freedom, Freedom Foundation. Foundation. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are the one who sort of caught on to this and exposed it. And several printer companies have owned up uh, since then. Uh, so the next time you are about to print some sensitive document, maybe think twice and hit... <laughs> Escape key to abort. (laughs) So this brings me to the punchline. So the ASCII code, which was standardized in 1963 for sort of communications protocols between computers and peripherals. So this ASCII code assigns a numeric code to all characters and letters and even special characters such as the escape key. Well, the ASCII numeric code for escape key is the number 27. And Chaos very wonderfully used 27 across as escape. <laughs> Quite deliberately, I'm sure. Very good. Very nice and neat to that. Oh, that's if that was deliberate. I'm pretty sure it well must be. done. <laughs> Shall we revisit the first of those pseudo mathematical clues? Yeah, go on, Dave. Uh, if you recall, mine was. Unable to write 49 plus 51 three times a quarter. And I think this is one of those clues where you have to make an assumption over which bit's the definition and pick a likely answer and then try and back engineer how the word play is going to fit into it. So if we start from the premise that unable to write is the definition, then for a 10 letter word, illiterate works. Yeah. And thinking Roman numerals, obviously the first IL is your 49, and then you plus that with the LI, which is 51. And the next bit is the tricky bit. Three times. 
defines the letter T and then the word era and then another T. And finally, a quarter is in the compass points sense, so E for East. So you get IL plus LI plus T plus era plus T and E gives you illiterate. All the bits I'm fit to- so glad you've explained that because <laughs> I did not suss it out. I got the answer, but I couldn't pass it. Yeah, it, the, all the bits do fit together, so we know it's right. But yeah, that was a bit tricky. I think you might need to sit down and a drink after that. So, Void, where are you going to take us next? Yeah, I have picked, speaking of drink, I picked the word water. See, I do good links, you know. Hey, I've been reading... H2O, A Biography of Water, by the science writer Philip Bull. It's a popular science book from 20 years ago, and it's got lots of stuff about the history of our understanding of water and also why it's a weird substance. But I'm now going to turn you into water. Right, listeners. Well, we're kind of 80% water anyway. Well, yeah. Stand up. Put your feet quite far apart and then raise your arms above your head wide apart so that you form a big X shape. All right? Right. Okay. Now, twist at your waist and your shoulders so you've turned 90 degrees in the upper half of your body. Okay. Now, if you draw invisible lines between all of your hands and your feet, you'll end up turning yourself into a tetrahedron. Right? (laughs) Okay, this is a complicated one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you are now a water molecule. Your body is your oxygen atom. Your two hands are your hydrogen atoms. And your feet are your negatively charged electrons. If you now imagine yourself floating in a sea of other tetrahedron people, and one of your hands grabs hold of a foot of someone else, And with your other hand, you grab someone else's foot. And meanwhile, two other people are grabbing hold of your feet. And that carries on, etc, etc, across all the little tetrahedron people. Then you've more or less replicated the hydrogen bonded structure of water. And it's this twist at your waist, which gives rise to this uh, configuration of molecules, apparently. And it's that which makes water, gives it, its unusual properties because chemically water is a bit weird yeah but getting a bit deep in uh, <laughs> chemistry there you're so, in deep water uh, uh, hey there we go so i'm gonna jump to a story that was it's just a bit mad have either of you heard of poly water is that what parrots drink <laughs> no now this is new to me Bit of a crazy story. In the mid-1960s, in Russia, scientists had noticed that when they had some very thin capillary tubes with water columns in them, sometimes a second column of water could form above the first column in the capillaries. And they started to theorise on this and how it could happen. And a few papers were published in obscure Russian journals, uh, which were mostly ignored or unnoticed in the West. But in 1969, the Russian scientist Boris Deryagin presented his findings at a Faraday Society meeting in Nottingham, in England, claiming to show that this anomalous water, as he called it at the time, had a higher boiling point 
a lower freezing point and a higher viscosity than ordinary water. And this is when the West started to take notice because there was seen all sorts of speculation about this mysterious new substance, which got the name polywater somewhere along the name, and including one alarmist statement from someone called F.J. Donaghy, who said that after being convinced of the existence of polywater, I am not easily persuaded that it is not dangerous. And he went on to say that until there was a way of transforming this polywater back to normal water, it was potentially the most dangerous material on Earth because there was a fear that if polywater was more stable than water, which apparently it was, then if it contaminated the seas and the oceans, it could turn all the water to polywater, which, if you think about it, is pretty daft because why hadn't that already happened? you know, in the millennia that Earth has existed. This is reminding me of a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Ding! Yes, it is also basically the plot of Cat's Cradle. Oh, and with with it, Ice Nine, yeah. Ice Nine, yeah. It's not one I've read, I've, I've been meaning to. Uh, and it also features in a Star Trek episode as well, right. more or less the same idea. Anyway, after uh, a few years of lots of hoo-ha and ding-dong in the scientific journals, further experiments, funnily enough, failed to reproduce, uh, failed to replicate polywater, and it was established that it was just water that had been contaminated with impurities from the glassware equipment or the lab or its scientists. And the whole thing eventually slipped away in embarrassment. Yeah. Um, I I suspected whether that's where the story was going to, yeah. Yeah, and this is, you know, why we'd never heard of it. But I liked one of uh, Philip Bull's closing remarks, because it struck me quite strongly. Needless to say, this kind of thing is self-amplifying, attracting self-publicists while the more sober-minded individuals stay aloof and silent. What is true in this regard in 1970 is more than ever the case today which was in the year 2000, and I'd say even more so 20 years later. Yeah, I think you may be right there. All Um, all it takes is just maybe some WhatsApp post going viral about, hey, Polly Water is going to kill us all, and, you know, there you go. Yeah, it's grey goo all over again, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I could go on a massive rant here, but I'll stop stop away (laughs) from the microphone. Uh, General, do you want to explain your clue, your favourite clue to us now, please? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So my favourite clue was 15 across, which goes, just to repeat, old criminal carrying a burden, four letters. So this is an anagram of old, indicated by criminal. Uh, and this anagram goes around or envelopes the letter A, indicated by the phrase carrying A. The definition is burden, and the solution, of course, is load. So I love clues that paint vivid pictures, clues that are plausible real-world sentences, and clues that are pithy. And I think this one sort of hits the mark on all three counts. Yeah, yeah. you imagine the burglar carrying a sack on his shoulder, don't you? Yeah, and you also imagine this old criminal sitting at a bar and, you know, he's carrying a mental load and, you know, of uh, oh, yeah, that's past true. crimes, that's like true. some Clint Eastwood kind of figure. 
<laughs> Burdened by guilt. Yes. Dave, what was your favourite word? Ah, oh, well, after all this science, I'm afraid I'm going to take you into the world of religion. Um, at eight down, we had All Hallows Day, uh, which is another word for All Saints Day, which is the 1st of November. Makes it a bit of a shame that this puzzle was published on the 7th, but hey-ho. And I was trying to find out why you might have a festival dedicated to all the saints collectively. Well, you know, lots of them have got their individual saints days, haven't they? You know? Yeah. I suspect that it relates to that wonderful historical practice of Christianizing things from other cultures. Early in the 7th century, Pope yeah. Boniface IV had the Pantheon at Rome consecrated. So, considering that a pantheon is literally dedicated to all the gods, I suppose that probably influenced his thinking in having it rededicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the saints. Anyway, the rededication that Pope Boniface did was in May. So for around 100 years or a little longer, All Saints Day was in May. Mm. Uh, then another Pope, Gregory III, in around 730, dedicated another site to the relics of the Holy Apostles and all the saints, martyrs and professors, and that was in November. And so the All Saints Day got moved to the start of November at that point. Now... I reckon in the same way that deciding on December the 25th for Christmas seems to have been just an attempt to piggyback on the existing festivities of the Roman winter solstice. Ooh. Ooh. I'll let you carry on, but you're I'll gonna, just you're say... Gonna, you're going to butt in with other things, are you? Yeah, yeah go on. No, fine. After this recording, you might like to go and check out uh, Kiwi Hellenist or Tales of Times Forgotten or History for Atheists um, <laughs> and they may have a lot of material pertinent to all of this which may not be quite in accord with what you just said Oh right, oh, well, uh, there we are uh, Well, I'm wondering if the next bit's going to be uh, <laughs> entirely debunked by them as well then possibly, well, I'm thinking about the, what I was going to say is that plonking All Saints Day down onto November the 1st and later also making All Souls Day November the 2nd, seems like a hijacking of the Celtic festival of, and let me try and pronounce this correctly, Samhain. Are you, are you liking or disliking that theory? <laughs> um, I refer you back to my previous comments. <laughs> oh dear, so I throw this entire thing away. Um, well, if that's the case, which it may or may not be, and we'll, we'll let other people uh, go and do our research then perhaps, you know, the, the the traditions of both of those all got smushed together until we ended up with things like Halloween. One of the tr traditions of Samhain was bonfires, so I suppose we've also mixed Guy Fawkes into the same melting pot. Mm -hmm. Did you know that a bonfire was originally a bone fire? Oh. Ah, no. So, via saints to thoughts of burning bones, we get to St Lawrence, who is the patron saint of Cook's chefs and comedians nice <laughs> and you might ask why that combination well the story goes he was reportedly tortured on a gridiron over hot coals so that gives you the cooking bit <laughs> and the legend is that after some time he quipped to his torturers yeah this side's done you can turn me over now <laughs> 
Yes. It's yes. like an Arnold Schwarzenegger line in an action movie, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit, isn't it? And then they um, doused him with poly water and everything was fine. <laughs> fine yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then there's there's St. Jude. His name was actually Judas, which was a common enough name at the time, but early translators of the Bible decided to, or translated into English and French, decided to abbreviate it to Jude to try and avoid people confusing him with a certain other Judas, right. Mr. Iscariot, who was less in favour. And the story goes that so few Christians invoked St. Jude for fear of praying to the wrong Judas that uh, somewhat ignored and neglected he was keen to intercede on behalf of anyone and everyone who did actually bother and hence why he became the patron saint of lost causes which is what he is right just to finish I've got a couple other a couple other saints St. Julian the Hospitaller 4th century the patron saint of jugglers, I couldn't discover why, oh, wow. as well as of clowns and other circus workers, fiddle players, and repentant murderers. Just the repentant ones. Just well, I, I guess possibly the unrepentant ones don't deserve having a saint. I don't know, perhaps. But there, there was a whole story about why, which was, uh, Satan tricked him into killing his own parents, and then he's like, "Oh my God, what have I done?" There's Saint Isidore of Seville, a 6th to 7th century saint. Try saying that if you've got a lisp. <laughs> he is the patron saint of computer developers and programmers. No. <laughs> Again, I couldn't work out can I couldn't work out why. He's also the reviver and popularizer. Now some online sources say the inventor, but I think that's going too far of the system of punctuation dots that became the comma, the colon, and the full stop. Yeah. So there's my obligatory link into typography, of which there's always one. And finally, for my own benefit, I was hoping that there might be a patron saint of proofreaders, because that's my day job, but there doesn't seem to be one. The nearest is St. John Bosco, who is much more recent. He's a 19th century saint, who is the patron saint of editors and publishers. Um, wasn't he the... in the Dukes of Hazard as well? Oh, dearie me. <laughs> St. Roscoe, oh dear. Oh, yeah, my mistake. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in the last episode, or he should have been if I'd remembered my facts right. Um, <laughs> so do you know what the bureaucracy is like for getting one of these weird saints approved or canonised or whatever is the word? I... I don't know what it is that enables people to say, here, we're this group of neglected people, can we have St. So-and-so as our patron saint? No. Oh, there, are, there are various stages to it. You have to have evidence of some miracles oh, being performed. Of course. Um, I, either that or having been martyred. Yeah, because there's a, an, a previous stage to actual sainthood is called beatification, and I yes. can't remember what that evol- involves. But yeah, I know there are several stages to full sainthood within the Catholic Church. And I, sh- I I would always point out that whenever someone says so-and-so is the patron saint of blah, 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 I always like to append, if you're a Catholic. Because, oh, abs- you know, absolutely, because if you're not, then it's, yeah, it's there's no it. such thing as a saint. Yeah. <laughs> uh the anyway, my, 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 the tail end of my thing about was, was John Bosco. and At least we do know why he's tied into the thing that he's 
same dove, which was he did a lot of work educating underprivileged children, and part of that was teaching them printing and publishing at his own print workshop. So that that kind of ties that in. Uh, and I suppose okay. we can tie him into the circus workers too, uh, like Julian, because he was into conjuring tricks. So he's also the patron saint of stage magicians. Right. Okay. You can bring us back down from this abstract world of religion back to uh, back to nice concrete things like numbers. Give us that horrible other clue right. with all those thousands in it. Okay. I will just say that um, I will definitely put uh, links in the blog post to those other sites that I mentioned earlier, so people can. Uh, I'm sure check you will. Things out and do your own Yes. <laughs> the clue I picked was three down, one plus one thousand. Plus one thousand plus seven minus five in brackets colon roughly that's huge seven letters. Now the first bit is nice and straightforward. It's Roman numerals again. So the one is an I, and the two the thousand plus one thousand is two M's in a row. So that's I M M, and that leaves us four letters to get, which we need to get from seven minus five. Roughly, that's huge. Now, I need to point out a convention in cryptic crosswording regarding anagrams, and that is that if you have an anagram, all the letters that make up the anagram must be actually in the clue. And the idea is if you have to think of another word to get the letters from, then that's called an indirect anagram. Now, why do I point that this out? Because I couldn't quite work out this clue to start with, but I did in the end when I worked out that the five is also Roman numerals and the five is a V. And we've got, therefore, seven, which again is written as the number, the digit seven, minus V. So this is a little bit like an indirect anagram or is it because if seven can't stand for seven then what on earth can it stand for you what you've got to do is think of the digit seven as the word seven s-e-v-e-n then subtract the v from it and then the roughly is the anagram indicator so you have to rough up those remaining four letters so the answer is immense for the definition of that's huge at the end. And I wasn't sure if I liked this or not. <laughs> I eventually decided that, yeah, it's a little bit sneaky, but, you know, seven is seven. So, yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is time where general knowledge takes over. What about our quiz? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So as we have observed many times, this crossword had a lot of numbers. So my quiz is going to have a numeric theme. Oh, <laughs> Excellent. Of course, so because in the crossword, there was a 2000, some 1000, 100, 49, and even more. So, okay, let's do a numeric themed quiz. And here's the first question. 101,010. That looks like the answer, but only in bits. And that's it. Okay. I can read, I can say oh. it again. One hundred and one thousand and ten. Ten. Yes. So you would write yes. that as one zero one zero one zero. 
I think you've asked the right two fellows for this question. <laughs> of course. So, uh, are we looking binary here? Yes. Uh, the part of the clue said, but only in bits, and bits, of course, can be are, binary are digits. Bin- digits, yes. Yeah. Okay, and the answer so that we're looking for is is the answer, um, the, the so, ultimate answer, you might say. Aha! So it's going to be 32 plus 8 plus 2. Absolutely. Which it might be. There you go. <laughs> So, 42, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Lovely. All right. So, let's go to the second number-themed question. That's a relief, that first one. Yeah. It was more of a... I don't know how much of a quiz question it was, but it was fun. Okay. So, the second one is this. Everyone knows that the kilo prefix is for a thousand, or 10 to the power of three, of something. Mega is for 10 to the power of 6, and Giga is for 10 to the power of 9. But there are some bigger numeric prefixes out there. So, what do the numeric prefixes Exa, Yota, and Zeta stand for? Get all three correct for full parts. <laughs> right, well, I would, I would come at this from the perspective of having bought computer hard drives. Yeah. Because we've, we've got, got we've got Giga and Terra in between, haven't we? Yeah. So Giga is nine. No, is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Giga yeah, is ten to the power of nine. Terra is twelve. Um, and then what? What the three prefixes? I certainly think Xa is the next one, isn't it? So we're looking for Xa, Yota, and Zeta. Well, are, are they the next three up in the sequence? That's the question. So, so would X be to the power of 15 and Yota to 18 and Zeta to 21? Is that? Um, not quite, but we're getting not there. Not quite. We're getting there. <laughs> so so uh, Terra is 10 to the power 12. You got that right. Yeah. Um, but what you said for X wasn't quite right. All right. Okay, so we've there's at least one in between there. Is, is um, there another one that we missed that's in between? Yeah, there's one in between that I didn't ask about. Peta. That's right. Peta. Yes, petabytes. Ah. Yes, that's right. Okay, so we'll step those all up by one or three. Well, yeah. <laughs> so then, so it's at eighteen, twenty-one, and twenty-four. Uh, okay. Uh, nearly there. So Xa is ten oh. power eighteen. Yes. Yes. And then please tell me what is Yota and what is Zeta? I might be wondering where these the, the names of these prefixes come from and I, yeah, they, they course, feel Greek, but at, they're not Greek some, letters exactly. So, at um, some point they kind of stop feeling quite so Greek as they did before, don't they? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so you basically had it right. So you know it is ten to the power twenty one and ten to the power twenty four, but the twist is that okay, Xa, Yota, Zeta, they sort of come in the order X, Y, and Z. Uh, but oh. that's not quite the order that we have for uh, the actual uh, prefixes. So Xa is 10 to the power 18, but then we jump to Zeta, which is 10 to the power 21, and then we come to Yota, which is 10 to the power oh, 24. Oh, so you yeah. gave us them in the wrong order. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think this is designed to confuse uh, future computer science students when you know memories of this order become the norm, and then there'll be trick questions like, okay, is Yota bigger mm. or is Zeta bigger? <laughs> X said Y. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the third Very one. Good. Yeah. 
So the third question is totally made up. Um, <laughs> we know that matter is made up of elementary particles. Actually, you referred to it. Uh, uh, you, you talked about electrons and neutrons earlier. Hmm. So scientists have some estimate of the total number of particles in the whole observable universe. This is called the Eddington number. It's a very large number. Yeah. Now, the biggest ones of these elementary particles are the neutrons and the protons. Electrons are way smaller. Let's ignore them uh, for what I'm going to get into. And we know that the volume of the proton is roughly the same as the volume of the neutron. They're roughly equally big. All right, but it's a very, very small number. So we have a very large number, which is the total number of particles in the observable universe. And we have this very small number, which is the volume of a proton or a neutron. When you multiply these two numbers, what do you get? Well, you get sort of what will be the total space used up by all the protons and the neutrons in the observable universe, which is basically the space used up by all the matter if you ignore the space inside an atom. Now, right. I don't really expect you or anyone else, I have to look up these numbers. I don't expect you to know the very large number or the very small number. Probably Carl Sagan knew them, uh, but <laughs> probably he's the only one. But I think it is an interesting exercise to sort of simply guess how big will this packed ball of the universe will be if you, if you just took all the protons and neutrons and kind of smooshed mm -hmm. them together with no intervening space. So the question is, how big is this ball going to be? What's its radius comparable to? And your choices are A. Oh, oh well, at least we get multi-choice. That's a relief. A cricket ball. <laughs> B. ISS, the International Space Station. C. Our planet, the Earth. D. Our star, the sun. E. Our solar system. F. Our galaxy, the Milky Way. And G, oh, much bigger than the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Space right. is big, really big. Yeah. I mean, you just won't believe how... No, sorry, anyway. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah. this is if, you, if, you were, if you were to pack up all of the observable universe for an interdimensional trip or something, how big your bags is going to be? Mm. Well, I mean, there is the question <laughs> of how, how close would you theoretically be able to get all the particles to come you won't close to, to each other yeah, yeah. due yeah. to uh, strong and weak nuclear yeah. forces and, and all that. But, this, yeah. this is why um, you said it's a completely made-up question. Yeah, it's, if, I, I'm just if putting you them to, all next so to each other. Yeah, the theoretical zero space between things. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, when you posed the question, I thought it's probably not going to be that big, is it? And our solar system popped into my mind. And then I started thinking, is that even much too big? Because space is astoundingly empty. I think if you take a square metre of just random bit of space, then I think it's got sort of one or two atoms in it. Something like that. It's yeah, the, uh, so, so in, bet in between the... There's an awful lot of stuff, and the each bit of stuff is really tiny. There's the whole extra dimension of there's an awful lot of empty space with no stuffing in it any anyway, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm I'm with the choices we've given. I'm flip flopping at the moment between our sun <laughs> and our solar system. What are you thinking, Dave? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm floundering about in the in the inky blackness of space as well. Um, I, I do get this feeling that it's probably going to be smaller than you think. Yeah, so I, if forced, I'd probably go sun-sized. I mean, I know our sun, as suns go, is a pretty mm, tiny one. Um, All right, yeah. well, I, I'll stick with my first gut instinct, which was the solar system. So I'll say that, and you can have the sun, and uh, you can tell us if either of us are right or we're both wrong. Yeah, so, you know, there is this thing about wisdom of the crowd, or, you know, if you ask any random general knowledge question to a thousand people, like measuring things or you know, estimating something, and you take sort of the average, and it, it turns out that we have amazing intuitions for these things. And in this, for this question also, I've done a s- small experiment. I've asked the two of you, I've asked myself before I looked up the answer, and I've asked a few other people. And, you know, it's amazing that we can actually comprehend this uh, to this ex- amazing extent. So, uh, you know, your two answers are basically uh, the the ones abetting the, sort of on, the, on either side of the right answer. And among these choices, I think our solar system is the most accurate one. So I, I, I did the calculations and it turns out that this ball would go up to, would go up to roughly where Saturn is. So it's, it's up to the orbit oh, okay. of Saturn. Yeah. A bit more than half the solar system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thirds, yeah. maybe. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's not bad, is it? Yeah. Cool. I was in Boston recently, and they have another interesting number which you guys may be familiar with, which is, I think, called the Smoot number, which is the sort of the length of the one of the bridges that goes across the Charles River, measured uh, in terms of the height of a gentleman named Mr. Smoot, who, when he was undergrad and had a bit too much to drink sort of decided that he would measure the bridge by just going, uh, you know, lying down on it and you know, having people count how many smooths it takes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Well, no, no more arbitrary than some of the, uh, some of the imperial measurements that we've, uh, we've been lumbered with in the past, is it, you know, yeah. barley corns and, uh, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. I think it's probably about time to wrap up. Okay, so thanks for listening, folks. As per usual, please subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Show notes with all those things telling me where I was wrong will be at offgrid.tlmb.net. You can say hi to us on Twitter, where I'm at Skirwinkle. And if you are a crossword, you can find some of my puzzles at crossword.info forward slash Skirwinkle. And I'm on Twitter at the void TLMB. And if you're listening to this in the first few days of release, you might be in time to enter my prize puzzle, which is running until December 22nd. And you can find that on my blog, tlmb.net slash blog. And you can say hi to us on our blog, the Off-Grid blog, as well. General, do you have any recommendations for the listener this Uh, Yes, so I would like to recommend following uh, this character named at Viresh Ratnakar. That's at V-I-R-E-S-H-R-A-T-N-A-K-A-R. I I know that's a mouthful. You can try following this guy on Twitter. And also checking out gussaloves.com. So that's spelled G-U-S-S-A-L-U-F-Z.com. And that's where you can find a whole bunch of interesting crosswords, many with special effects, 
as well as links to free open source software for crossword construction and for publishing interactively solvable crosswords online. That sounds marvellous. So we'll go and check those out, and so should you listeners. Thank you very much for helping us out once again, General Knowledge. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. That was Off Grid. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you to Chaos for our puzzle this episode. And thank you, as ever, to the Trudy for our fabulous theme tune. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Well, when was he around? Oh, it's not quite general knowledge, evidently. <laughs> <laughs>